Daniel chapter 8 from verse 1. It says this, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal, I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westwards and northwards and southwards. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns towards the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And their regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with a regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary, and host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Father, I do pray for the children as they uh, engage with you in Sunday school. I pray for Natalie, for patience and clarity. I pray for the children that they will listen well. I pray for Rob that he will speak clearly also, that everything that he studied, he will remember, that uh, you will bless the way he speaks, and uh, bless us also as we listen to your word spoken. Give us humble hearts to hear, so that uh, we are able to grow in the knowledge and be wise in the way that we conduct ourselves amongst people in this world. Amen. Please do keep your Bibles open. Thanks for reading, Kenny. Um, we just read part of the passage we're looking at tonight. We're looking at the whole of chapter 8. 
for how long? Not how long is this sermon going to be? Um, you'd love to know the answer to that question, wouldn't you? Um, but for how long uh, is a question right at the heart of this passage. Um, it's actually right in the verse that we looked at, the last verse that we've had read to us. In verse 13, I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, for how long? It must be an important question. The reason why I think it must be an important question is because um, within the vision that Daniel has is the very last thing that happens. Um, it's a question that's asked by one of the angels or holy ones in the vision itself and answered. And you have to think, why was it being answered? Why was it being asked? And yet, how long is this going to be? Now, we're going to look at what the how long is talking about in reference to but that seems to be an important question, doesn't it? How long is this going to be for? Now, it must be for the benefit not just of Daniel, because Daniel was distressed by what he'd seen and the visions and what they meant. We've seen that before. But it must not just be for Daniel's benefit, right? Surely it was being asked, this question, and answered for the benefit of the people who are actually going to go through the times that are being described here. For later Christians and for us here today. So the how long question, it seems an important question. Um, we've already heard about the times that Daniel was living in under um, King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And that's the most of what we looked at, isn't it? Chapters one to four. Um, and then as Persia took over and there were people like Belshazzar. And we've heard a bit about the kingdoms that were gonna follow Babylon. So we're gonna be three kingdoms that followed Babylon. And that was represented by chapters 2 and chapter 7. It gives a bit of detail there, doesn't it, about the kingdoms that we're going to follow. Um, but this chapter, chapter 8, actually gives a, a much more detail, and much more detail in particular on the third kingdom. And we'll have a look at it together. And in particular, it gives us a bit of detail on one of the kings that was going to rise up from that kingdom. So that's what we're focusing in on. Um, the, the picture that and, uh, Daniel receives is... Uh, Babylon, and he, he pictures himself in Susa, a town to the east, very far east of the whole kingdom. And he, he's there in the middle of the city, and he's by the canal that runs right through the center of the city, and, uh, and he sees a, a ram, a male sheep, by the side of the canal. So that's what we see. Um, but this guy, um, this male ram, is, is really one of those characters, you know, like you're watching a movie and you think, this guy is just here being introduced so that they can be killed off. You, you know the kind of characters? You're watching that documentary, or not documentary, um, series, and you think, this guy, he's just come out of nowhere and, and he's just here, he's just, he's going to get killed off. That's what's going to happen here. That's exactly what happens with the ram. Um, so you see um, early on in the vision, um, uh, some, something else comes in and takes out the ram. The ram was strong, it was great. That's the second kingdom. But the real focus here is the one who is going to take over the, uh, and destroy the ram. Um, I don't know if Sam would agree whether a goat would actually take down a ram, but he's not sure. Okay. Um, well, the, the, guy, the, the second part of the vision, which I said is the main part of the vision, is the goat coming in and uh, headbutting and pushing out the way and destroying, overpowering the ram, the male, the male sheep. And I've had a bit of fun with the, uh, with the pictures, so I hope you appreciate this, this 
took more time than probably I should have given over to it. Um, but here we go. It's, not, it's a goat not with two horns. It's a goat with one horn. Um, should we look, look down there? Uh, it says, as I was considering, verse 5, Behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. So it's talking about one horn. Now we have to remember these horns symbolize something, don't they? They symbolize strength. They symbolize king. And so the, the, the one horn, um, he butts out of the way the, 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 the ram and, and destroys him. And then if you look down with me at verse 8, the, uh, then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. Okay, And in its place, four conspicuous horns grew up. Four kings. Um, and we know from history that Alexander the Great was the one who had this amazingly fast con- conquest. And he was the one with the Greek Empire that came in and just battered the Persians in a very short space of time. That's why it talks about it um, going without touching the ground. Just fleet, you know, flying almost into Babylon. And that was Alexander the Great. You can read about him. And he was the, with the one horn. Right, the great horn that got uh, got Greece into Babylon, but then he dies very suddenly at the age of early thirties, and all of the generals that he worked with they were divided up the kingdoms. Then there was four, and then uh, the empire division. If you look down with me, verse nine, out of one of them came a little horn, and this is the guy we're going to focus our most of our time on. Out of one of these kings, uh, kings came a little horn, and then what does that horn do? It grows exceedingly great. That's what it says. It, it grew exceedingly great, verse 9, towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven. And then uh, verse 11, it became great, even as great as the prince of the hosts. So there's this one king of this third kingdom who is going to be exceedingly great. He's going he's gonna to grow and, and he can do some horrible things. And we're going to read about them in just a moment. But that's who we're focusing in on. That one king of that kingdom. See that? Yeah? Okay, from the third kingdom, a horn exceedingly great. Let's have a look at what he's described as, uh, as doing. Um, read, read down with me in um, verse 10. It, the little horn, grew great even to the host of heaven, and some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the hosts. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, that's from the prince of the hosts, and the place of his sanctuary, that's his prince of the host sanctuary, was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground and it will act and prosper. That's what we're talking about, the how long question. Daniel wants to know how long is that? Well, he wants to know what how long is going to be going on for. But the people, the angels in the vision are saying, telling him how long. And it's described as being, um, he does some things. He does, um, he, he, he interferes with the burnt offerings. He goes into the sanctuary. He desecrates the sanctuary. These are all things that, this king, this one king was going to do. He was going to be trampling, riding roughshod over all of God's people and their, and their worship of the true God. That's what's described here, isn't it? He's, he's not going to care less 
about these things and all of the things that they held dear. It said that actually um, Antiochus, who's described here, uh, Antiochus, sorry, he banned even things like circumcision, uh, reading of scripture publicly, the offering of sacrifices. You think of like the main things that it was like that Jews were doing regularly, committing their, their next their children, their first their firstborn to to God, um, reading of scripture, and offering of sacrifices. That was all part and parcel of the everyday, every week life of God's people. And he's banned it all. But he goes further than that. Um, it, it describes it a little bit further down. If you read with me when, he, when they ask the question in verse 13, it, it summarizes what he was doing, right? So it says, for how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering? We've talked about that. The transgression that makes desolate, we'll talk about that in a minute. And the giving over of the sanctuary and supposed to be trampled underfoot. That's a summary of what he was going to do. And this is a king that was going to come further down the line. And Daniel's hearing about it. And of course he is appalled by it. He's going to go into the sanctuary. Well, this guy, Antiochus, he, he actually believed himself to be, and some of you like superhero guys will love this, but he, he believed himself to be the earthly manifestation of Zeus, the great, great God, Greek God. And he says he thought himself to be the manifestation of, of Zeus. And so when he went into the temple in Jerusalem, he set up a statue or a shrine, and, and, a, um, and, he, and he said, this is dedicated to Zeus in the temple. And there's even a suggestion that he didn't think what he was doing was actually all that wrong. Because his God was called king of heaven and the lord of heaven was a name given to canaanite gods and the king of uh, the most high god is a name given to the jewish god yahweh he just thought oh it's all one and the same thing doesn't matter if we have a statue of zeus they're all god it doesn't matter we're all saying the same thing we're all talking about the god of heaven the king of heaven the lord of heaven it's all one and the same thing so What's happening here? What's going to happen for God's people is that God's army, his host of heaven, um, his sanctuary, his meeting place with his people on earth, and his truth are all going to be trodden underfoot. Did you see that? How often it says that? It threw down. Some of the hosts, uh, verse 10, and the stars, it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. Um, the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And the offerings of the truth, uh, verse 12, and it will throw truth to the ground. The, the sort of level of disrespect, trampling underfoot, that's what it's going to feel like that this king is going to be able to do. And, and he's going to be able to do it for some time. For, th for about three and a half years, he's going to be able to do this. And it's here that we hear that phrase, um, if you look down at verse 13, um, how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate? I think that's referring to the transgression that he's doing is putting that shrine or that statue in the temple of, of Yahweh, or in the, um, in the temple of Yahweh. And it's a transgression that makes desolate, so actually makes people desolate. Actually ruins them. 
So that's a, a, a phrase that we're going to come across again in Daniel. It's actually, has anyone heard the abomination of desolation? Yeah? Or the abomination that causes desolation? Yeah? You heard that phrase? It's, it's a Daniel phrase, basically. It's going to come up more and more in chapters 11 and 12. But um, here, that's what's being described. Now, why that phrase? Well, interestingly, in, 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 in Hebrew, if you change one letter of the word heaven from Lord of heaven, it becomes abominate, uh, desolation. You just change one letter. And this phrase, abomination of desolation, is only very slightly different from the phrase Lord of heaven that they would have used in Luke. So what's, what's being described here is actually... Although on the outside, what he did didn't look like he was changing all that much, you, you sort of see what the reality of that is. And it was an abomination. To, to think that this God or anyone else was equal to the God of heaven, to Yahweh, is an abomination. It, it's not just simply kind of, oh, take it or leave it, do what you want. It is an abomination. And it's an abomination that causes desolation, as in it ruins people's lives. It's going to absolutely desolate people. It's going to make them desolate. Okay. It, rulers are going to do this. And this is something uh, that we're going to talk about just now because it, it wasn't just them. This was a prediction for Daniel then for what was going to happen with this guy, Antiochus. But it is a pattern that was going to reemerge throughout the ages. Someone raising themselves up, presuming themselves to be God, almost trying to subvert the worship of the true God and saying, oh, it's pretty much the same thing as what I'm presenting to you. There's nothing like it. And it kind of creates this deception. So um, what we're, we're just going to talk about that because I was listening to Joel, who was preaching down the road. They did uh, Daniel a few months ago in UCC. And, and Joel talked about this because he said that there's deliberate ways of interfering with the worship of Yahweh. There's sort of like the middle, you know, stuff that goes on around the world where, where people try to stop the gatherings of Christians, try to stop them even opening the Bible, that kind of stuff. That's deliberate. But there's also accidental things, um, ways of interfering with it. And that's probably a bit more closer to home, I think, because, um, for example, if a government or, or, or leaders, rulers, think that Jesus is just another guy who helps you to be good and live a moral life. And if they present the truth of the Bible as just, hey, it's just a moral handbook, it's just going to make you a morally good person, then that's doing exactly the same thing. It's setting up Jesus as just one of many. You can have your Jesus, you can have your Confucius, you can have your uh, Buddha, you can have your, you know, your Muhammad. They're all just doing the same thing. And so, even if they don't realize that's bad, by implying that, they're doing exactly the same thing. And, and we hear here, don't we, in this, in this passage, when Daniel gets the final word on what would happen to these kings, uh, to this king, um, in verse 25. It says, verse 25, By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, and 
at the end of his career. Now, whatever he's done, whatever he's been allowed to do, this short time on earth, he is going to be broken. And that's exactly what's going to happen. That anyone who says that the, the God of the Bible, that Jesus, is the same, equal to, any other person, any other God, that's exactly what's going to happen. In the end, if we show that it's just going to come to nothing, he will be destroyed and he'll bring them both. And so Daniel actually has been, hasn't it, a warning about that kind of thing, to say the God of heaven, he is the true God, he is the only true God, he is the living God. It matters how we respond to him. And actually... Daniel gets a little bit of closure, doesn't he? Because he hears that this is going to be for some time, uh, or for a time, and it's going to uh, end. But notice in verse 27 how he responds. Verse 27, someone want to read that out? Daniel knows, he's just been told, it's not going to be forever. That God decides these things and he will not allow it to continue forever and he will bring it to an end. And yet, Daniel still is appalled by what he's heard, by what is going on. It, it does bring him some comfort knowing that, but he's still appalled by what is going to take place. And I think this is important because that's where this chapter ends. We could just say, oh, God, you know, God's in control. He's going he's gonna to bring this to an end. And almost suggest that the suffering of God's people now is, it, it, is sort of just to belittle that or to make that less. To almost ignore it or deny it. Or to suggest that it's not actually that appalling. Do you see what I mean? That's not the net result of what Daniel does here. He's still appalled by this vision and what it represents. The fact that there were still people who were wanting to deceive people and, and uh, suggest that Yahweh is less than he is. He's still appalled by that. Even after the interpretation is given in verses 18 onwards, Daniel is still, he still feels terrible. It says that he um, lay sick for some days. That could suggest that he's depressed. He goes through a sort of depression for, for the three days. He can't do anything. And it's only then after the three days that he was able to rally the strength to go about the king's business. But he was still appalled by the vision. Notice we're not meant to... <laughs> We are meant to be comforted, uh, have the comfort of knowing that it will end. But we're not meant to get comfortable with how things are. There's a difference, isn't there? The comfort of knowing it will end is not the same as being comfortable with what's being done. And, and Daniel is still appalled that, that people would be being deceived like this. That the God of heaven would be, um, not be receiving the honour that he deserves. And, and, and that God's people would be suffering. Uh, the impact of this, what this vision has revealed, doesn't magically disappear. 
And so if you're a Christian, I think it's right that we take comfort from the fact that God will bring everyone who sets himself up against him to an end. And anyone who tries to stop Christians from trusting him, from following Jesus, obeying his commands, meeting together, that they will come to an end. It's right for us to take comfort in that, but it's not right for us to be comfortable with them doing that. We should be appalled. Like Daniel, we should be appalled. It should trouble us. It should trouble us that in a few months' time, the majority of people are going to think that Christmas is about presents. It's about giving money to these big uh, businesses and, and just plowing loads of money into trying to fulfill ourselves and give ourselves lots of reasons. We should be troubled by it because instead of the glory of Jesus, it's the glory of Morrison. Instead of the, the wonders of the king of heaven and all that he can give to people, it's emptiness. And so Daniel being appalled by it is actually, I think, some, a challenge for us. Not to say, oh, God, you know, this is just saying God's in control. He's decided this, this is going to happen. And therefore we just sort of emotionally check out of things. We say, you know, I don't need to pray about this. We do. And we may need to even speak <laughs> and say, no, that's not right. <laughs> because actually our voice is the one that people will hear, isn't it? We say, no, it's not about that. The Bible is more than, it's not actually about teaching us how to be good. If Jesus was here just to teach us how to be good, he wouldn't have needed to go to the cross and die. Why would he die if it was all about teaching us how to be good? He wouldn't have needed to die. Can I tell you about why he died? It's because he is glory. Because we have rejected him. Because we're heading to hell and we need saving. Just to uh, rub this in a little bit, um, Daniel was thinking about the sanctuary. He was talking, talking about the sanctuary, wasn't he? Being, being thrown out and mistreated. We don't have a physical place like the temple anymore, and we don't have the sacrifices anymore. Why is that? Because Jesus himself is the fulfillment of those things. We don't have the sacrifices because his one sacrifice is the final sacrifice that brings us into God's presence. So we don't have a physical place to, to meet with God and to, to, be, to have God's presence. He comes by his Holy Spirit and dwells in us. So we, the thing we should be getting concerned about is when people are trying to obstruct Jesus from people's view or present a kind of Jesus, any Jesus kind of view of Jesus that's the thing we can get concerned about whether or not Jesus is being obstructed by what people are saying and the way that we take away that obstruction is to speak and say something we say he, this is the Jesus of the Bible this is what he's like this is what it means it's a wonderful challenge, isn't it, for us? There will be those who tread down God's people, God's truth, but God is the one who is in control. And he is using his people to, to speak um, so that people wouldn't be deceived. So that they wouldn't fall into that sin, that abomination, that's ultimately going to leave them without anything.
facing his judgment. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for what you reveal in your word. Thank you that there is an end um, and even a time that is set for these things to take place, showing that your plans are on track. And we pray that we would be appalled by the things that are revealed in our time. We wouldn't just sort of um, accept that there will be people who, who obscure Jesus and obscure salvation in him. We pray that we'd be those who would be able to speak and bring your truth to bear. Uh, we pray that you would challenge us um, as you have been, as your word has been uh, read. We pray you continue to use us for your glory. And would we be troubled when your glory is being replaced or diminished? We pray this in Jesus' name.